We are here with Ken Caesar on the Cold Star Project. Ken, you are under 30 years old, are you not? I am. Our fellas cannot see you <laughs> because we're doing this audio only. But you, at the very youthful age, I mean, when I think of you, I've known you for at least five years, maybe six, and mm. we've talked on and off. Diligence is the word that I think of when I think of you. Diligence in, in getting in and learning the ins and outs of the market and the numbers and what it actually takes to scale. You have created two seven-figure businesses in the brief time that you've had available. And I mentioned this before for our listeners. I'm scared of what Ken is going to be like when he's 40 <laughs> because he's yeah. got it together already. <laughs> we'll have a little laugh at that. But Ken, thanks for being here today. And our topic is going to be what it actually takes to grow a business, to have a business, scale a business. So let me begin with that question, Kim. When our listeners are here, right, and maybe they've got a business and maybe they don't, maybe they're just thinking about it or they're kind of been playing around with it and, and seeing what they've got, what do they really need to know first? I think you probably want to start with the end in mind. Hmm. I think that's probably the best way to figure it out. And you're never, I mean, you can drop conclusions in your head as to what you want and what that end picture looks like, but you're never really going to know until you've actually gone through the process and you're in that position. And a lot of times, even then you'll find out, you know, this, this um, idealistic image of what, of what perfection was, isn't really what I wanted anyways. Right. I think for like a lot of people, if they're working at a job right now, they're just doing something that they don't really enjoy. The ideal picture is them working from home and, <laughs> and probably not. <clears throat> maybe they have, maybe they do have employees. Maybe they don't. I don't think a lot of people want a big office with like a lot of staff, right? Because the association with that is like a lot of headaches. Hmm. Um, but being someone who's worked from home, that's not a, a great um, you know, scenario a lot of times. A lot of times you're waking up and you're just surrounded by work. So you're, you're in that, that uh, mode all the time. You can't turn off, right? Um, versus you know, if your end picture might be you want an office with a lot of staff, you have to understand that that comes with a lot of headaches as well. Uh, there's a lot of overhead, a lot of expenses, a lot of problems with employees. So the best way is probably to start with an end in mind and then maybe try and seek someone out who has that and try and understand the pros and cons of what they've gone through. And that'll give you a much more realistic idea of what you can expect. Okay. There are a lot of people out there who just want to make a buck <laughs> at the start, right? Mm -hmm. And especially those who maybe lost their job or quit a job or, or been released from a position and now they're in this situation where they have to make some money. How is that as far as like an impetus to start a business? Is that a good or a bad situation to be it's in? It's never good. Um, <laughs> so like the uh, one thing I've learned is like you, you want to play for the long term. Mm. You want to play that long term game. Because when you, anybody you see that's coming from the scenario of them needing to pay a bill right away or like I need to uh, – uh, you know, uh, I need a thousand bucks by next week um, for whatever reason, right? At that point, you're, you're just limiting so many of your options. And I can talk about this in any context, mm -hmm. 
you know, whether it's the agency world, whether you're offering a service, whether it's e-commerce, um, we'll use e-commerce for example, and rather than saving that cash flow and reinvesting it into the business, you know, you're taking that money out of what potentially could be new products, um, could be scaling to new markets, could be more marketing, and you're then taking that money and paying something off or going to buy something. Um, and it's, I mean, that short-term game is never good. So I feel like the one thing that people really don't understand when they're getting into this, especially now, this is something I've noticed that's changed quite a bit over, let's say like the past few years since I got involved in e-commerce and physical product sales, is that cash is slowly becoming like the most important part of the business. Mm -hmm. Aside from the skills and you know, needing to, to have the discipline and work, you have to have that capital in place or be able to source that capital from somewhere, whether it's a VC or a bank or some type of uh, private lender connection that you have because that, that money is almost like a runway. And as you can invest mm -hmm. that money back into the business and grow it, you're playing that long-term game. Um, and it's, it's, it's super important. Um, I, I really can't stress that enough. There's, there's so many businesses that cut their heads off because of bad decisions with um, how they actually invest that capital. And it's a real issue. Now, once again, this may not pertain to info products or something where there isn't a whole lot of overhead, um, but those necess aren't necessarily long-term games, right? Like a lot of people that I think are doing info products are, are, they're around for how long would you say a year? Yeah. Six most. months to a year. Yeah. Right. And then the yeah. product doesn't even work or yeah, isn't it's accessible. Some, it's just gone. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of those guys are jumping in going, I can make a lot of money doing this and they realize how saturated it is. And then they go, what, like, what am I actually doing here? Like I'm going to be a life coach at, <laughs> at 23 and, um, and not make money doing this, right? Like that's not, that's not what I had in mind. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it obviously, you know, you, you need to have that money in place. You need to have that work ethic. But um, from my personal experience, that capital, I just see it becoming more and more important now. Yeah, it makes sense because increasing cash flow can kill your business just as fast as decreasing. And we see this in e-commerce particularly because, and you know this, your second business is in e-commerce. Uh, you need to buy... I mean, for Christmas, you needed to be buying months ago, getting those orders in, right? You needed that, those reserves of capital in order to be able to buy inventory that is going to take a while to be made and shipped and received and ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So that's one thing that's never really talked about, right, is how that cash flow cycle actually works in different businesses. And I don't even sell a quote unquote seasonal product, right? But I, I've started ordering my products for the holiday season, holiday season being typically the second half of November, December, and January. That's when the, we see the highest buying trends. I started ordering those products for those two and a half, three months in May. Now what's interesting is I put those product orders in May uh, it's, you know, might be anywhere from two to three months manufacturing time, depending on the product, another two, three months shipping time, and then prepping and getting it uh, ready for, for the actual sale and fulfillment. So you're looking at anywhere from like five to six months to get everything packaged and ready. 
And at that point, I'm still not seeing a return. So that's just that's just getting items ready and getting them on the shelf or getting them ready to be sold. And I'm not seeing all of the, we're, we're not actually selling through all of that product until, like I said, the end of January. So I'm not seeing the actual payoff until sometime in February. So you think about the cash flow reserves that are required to put that much money down in mm-hmm. May and not see the money or payoff come back around until February of the next year. Um, that's a whole, that's a long-term game, right? right? You're playing a whole different game at that point. And it's, uh, I, th- I think a lot of people that maybe have started out in some type of services business where there's not a lot of overhead or they're doing the info product or whatever, whatever the business model is where there's not a lot of overhead and the cash flow comes in pretty quickly. They're not used to seeing that type of um, cycle. They're not used to seeing those numbers fluctuate that much throughout the year. And you're never really going to get the full understanding of it until you're involved in it. So I can sit there and tell you, um, you know, we can use arbitrary numbers like a, just for easy math. If a company does a hundred thousand a month and they've got 30% net profit, hmm. anybody sitting back looking at that would go, well, they're making $30,000 per month. But that's, I mean, as I just explained, it's not how it works. That 30% net is on the year, right? So they're going into debt throughout the year and digging into a lot of reserves in order to make that 30% net work when when everything comes full circle um, at the end of the, the fiscal year. What now a newbie is just not going to get that, right? They're not going to be able to do that. Not only are they structurally not in the position to do that, but mentality wise, they're not either, right? What can a new person do who wants to get into a business to begin to train themselves or get ready to be the kind of person who can take that sort of risk? So are you talking uh, like about a, um, like a, a business, like a physical product where you're building a brand? Are you talking more of, let's say, like they're, they're trying to start some type of service or agency? Well, let's say a product, the, 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 the product business is important because that gap, right, between, okay, I invested and I sort of planted my, my crop, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's going to show up later on and then I'm going to harvest it and sell it at the market. They're yeah. not used to that, right? They're used yeah. to, I go to work and I get a paycheck every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So what mentality shift can they begin to make? What sort of things should they be focusing on to help them make that shift? So I would plot out, once again, everything in terms of strategy being a long-term game. If you're working a job and you know, you, you're trying to build, excuse me, this brand on the side, um, you know, building a brand, the downside obviously is that it requires a lot of capital up front. It requires a lot of reserves and you're st- there's a ton of work involved. Um, it's a lot of risk. A lot of brands just don't take off um, versus, you know, how uh, a, a services agency would. You know, services agency, it's all about who you know, networking, stuff like that, right? A brand is Nobody really cares about your personality. Nobody cares about what your degree was or if, you're, if your parents donated money to the university. If the market likes the product and they think the value is there, then they buy it. Um, so it's a totally different game, right? It's interesting because like when I was starting my uh, marketing agency, I was pretty young. I was 21, 22. Uh, and, and there was uh, another agency in the city that, 
the girl working there um, was growing it really quickly and I couldn't understand like what she was doing. And it was a general, it was kind of went against the grain of everything I heard. They were a generalized services agency. They really worked with a lot of local people, a lot of local companies. So I, I couldn't understand what was going into and, and what was fueling the growth of, of their agency. And it turned out that her parents had like a lot of business connections and that's how, and I didn't find that till like a couple of years later. Um, something like if I had followed that model of what trying to be that, that generalized agency and follow what she was doing, it just wouldn't have worked. Right. So it's going to depend on everybody's personal scenario. And fast forward to when I have this, this e-commerce business, let's say I'm trying to jump ship from a business I currently have, or, um, you know, a, a job that I currently have and I want to get into building this type of brand. You have to understand that it's the opposite of that services or, or um, uh, kind of cash flow intensive business or not intensive business, but a cash flow building business where you, you're, you're getting paid up front every month and the cash flow builds really quickly. With a, a, a brand business, you may not be profitable for two or three years, right? Mm. Especially if you're scaling it hard and you have a lot, a lot of products that you want to put out there. So with that said, the biggest upside is going to be once you are profitable after a few years, the profits tend to be pretty good if you've grown it, um, if you've grown the business properly. You know, um, if you're hitting 25% net on a business that does a few million dollars a year, that's a really healthy profit, right? Once again, as I mentioned, it's not going to be consistently coming in like that every month. But the, at the end of that year, you'll have a lot of money to work with and then hopefully you invest that intelligently. But the real payoff, I think, for an e-commerce brand typically comes when you sell the business. So when you actually sell that business, a lot of times you can get a multiple of three or four X what your profit was on that year. So if you have, once again, for easy math, if you're doing $2 million in sales and you're doing 25% uh, net on the year, if you can get four, four X that net profit, you'll get $2 million for cash for that business, right? Um, you're not going to see that type of income with, with these other businesses typically. Um, it's, I mean, for a services agency to do $2 million net is very rare, I would think. Um, I've never seen it. And I've known a lot of service and agency businesses. So you have to kind of figure out what is the end game here? Like, where can I get the biggest payoff and what am I actually shooting for? If it's with a brand, or an e-commerce business, um, product-based business, you want to scale it. You want to try and get it profitable while still keeping um, you know, the business growing at a fast rate because that's what brokers and these different uh, people that are buying these businesses are looking for. They want to see that continued growth and that revenue increasing. Um, and that's when you're going to see the payoff, but it's not going to be until years down the road. So you can play that game of trying to just stack your profits and pay your bills. And even if you're... Um, you know, profiting $10,000 a month, but you're not investing properly back into that business. You know, at the end of the year, you can have a hundred, 150 grand and in times that by a couple of years, that could be 300 grand potentially right in the bank. Obviously that's great money, but you can also scale the business properly. And if you manage things properly, you could also have $2 million in the bank if you sold that business. Um, so I think you got to figure out what do you actually want at the end of the day. And it took me a long time to realize that I never really understood what the end game was with this business. I never really mm. saw what the end game was because all I saw was my, 
my orders were getting bigger, my revenues were getting bigger, but at the end of the day, I was still pushing all in with the money. I was just constantly, I was reinvesting every single dollar and going, my bank account's not growing. Hmm. Um, it took me a while to understand that it's going to take a, a few years to really see the profits from this. And then beyond that, I'm building the asset. The asset is, was the end game for me. So, Right. I work with a lot of tech founders who want to change the world. That's why they got into the business and they created their baby, right? Yeah. They didn't, they don't want to sell it. They don't have that mentality of creating an asset and selling it. And uh, I find I can talk to them until I'm blue in the face about that and (laughs) convincing few, you know, few and far between. Is there anything that you would recommend for new business founders to understand about uh, making that shift again? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to them, right? They get, it's, if it's their business and they don't intend on selling it, they can do whatever they want. Um, everything has to, it, when, you go, when you do sell it, everything has to obviously be built into systems. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you, everything has to be running smoothly. The profits have to be there consistently. That's what people are buying it or looking for. They're looking for like a consistent investment that they feel is going to pay off for them. Right. So they can make that shift eventually. Um, it just depends on, once again, what they're looking for. If they're looking to like change the world, then um, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't, it's up to them. They don't have to, to do what they don't want to do. If they don't want to sell it and they want to continue whatever their mission is, then that's cool too. But they can, I think they probably can make that pivot at some point. Um, it just depends on how messy the business is that's going to determine how long it's going to take and how much work is required to really turn things around, systemize everything, um, really try and squeeze the profits out of it. So it looks appealing for potential investors and whoever wants to buy it. Okay. So it sounds like you're saying that new business people should, if possible, start off a service cash flow generating business to start and then move into an asset creating business. It's, it's tricky, right? If this is stuff I've, I've just recently started learning, but um, it's interesting because I've looked at like companies that are scaling mm-hmm. really hard and um, you know, there's, it, it's, it's, it's a, a whole different world than, than what I was used to. Um, things move much quicker yep. and there's way more at risk. Um, my suggestion would be, if you're just getting started and you've never operated a business that's product based, it's going to be completely different from anything else, right? It's way more risk, way more stress. Um, things tend to move much quicker. Um, so I would try and get the fundamentals down and really understand the skills of creating a product that people want, creating that ideal profile, like who's that your customer, that basic marketing one-on-one stuff, you know, who's that, that customer avatar of who you're selling to and, what else would they possibly buy from you and create your brand around that versus I feel like right now everybody's building these one-off brands and these generalized brands based on data that they're getting from different softwares, which is a losing game because everybody has all you, all you're buying is data and everybody has access to the same data. So at the end of the day, there's really no gap between what you're doing, what everyone else is doing. There's no more, um, 
misinformation, right? The information's out there for everybody. Hmm. So anybody can get the software. Anybody can source products from China now. That's not like a big secret that no one knows about. There's a million courses out there for free on how to do that stuff. So I feel like you need to really get the fundamentals down on stuff that's going to put you ahead and probably build a really solid business that is going to build confidence. And you go, you know, I've, I've created this company. Um, we did things properly. We built a real brand. We were able to um, have great profit margins because we were charging more on our products than all of our competitors were because we had this strong brand, because we had this customer avatar that we were selling to, um, that's a really great place to start. Hmm. And you, I mean, a lot of times you're probably going to have to do that on your own dime or on your own dollar. Eventually, I feel like once you've, you have a little bit of a, a track record and you have some success, you can start looking to get money from investors, from private investors, from VCs who are looking to invest in, successful business people that have a track record um, and that have this skill set in place. Right. And that's kind of what I'm looking into now. Not that I'm looking for investors or that I'm looking for capital or cash flow. Um, I'm still, you know, in, in the midst of building this first business, but it's just become really apparent to me that these companies that are scaling from zero to 10 plus million within a couple of years are doing it with the help of, of, uh, you know, people from outside that, you know, that are investing capital, they're investing money. They're able to scale these businesses very, very quickly that way because they have that initial skill set already from, you know, building their business the first time. They're just able to do it at a much more rapid rate because the, the cash flow allows them to do that, right? Yeah, if you, if you know where the distribution channel is <laughs> and who those people are and you could hook up into it really quickly, yeah, that's, that's going to be a massive advantage over a newbie who maybe doesn't even know what a distribution channel is. Well, I think of it like this, like, like a, when, when these companies are going in to buy a company, right? And we live, in a, we live in a really interesting time right now where I feel like, and this is just my opinion, Definitely. I, I could be wrong about this, but it's just from what I've seen. And I, I, I feel pretty confident that a lot of these older companies that are more established um, and have been around for a long time are kind of resting on their laurels. And they're, they're, they don't really understand a lot of these distribution channels. They don't understand what's going on with how to properly market. And they don't really understand a lot of this um, the newer generation that's buying their products, right? Like the quote unquote millennial generation, they don't know how to speak to them. Hmm. So they're kind of stuck in this weird position now where they're used to traditional media, they're used to billboards, magazines, and television. And their only play at this point, I mean, they can hire somebody out of Wharton or somebody who's got their MBA from a, an Ivy League school but that individual is not going to compete with somebody in terms of the online world that's, you know, a high schooler or left college early um, and has been doing this for so long and selling their own products for like, they're just not going to compete. I don't care what uh, degree you have or where it's from. Right. So the, the play for a lot of these bigger companies now is to go in and buy these smaller companies. Like they have to buy them up um, at an early stage because the potential for a company to go from zero to a hundred million now because of the internet 
it's very, very high if that, if that person that's leading that company knows what they're doing. There's a lot of businesses now that are going from zero to 10 to 50 to 100 million very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I mean, if, you, if you've got um, somebody, let's say, who's, who's good at direct response marketing and knows internet marketing, and they, they just bought a growing internet-based business, with a customer list and a proven avatar and they have now the rocket fuel money to inject into it. How can they fail really? Right. Well, that's where I was going with this. Right. So it's like you have, I mean, you have these companies now and it's not even like some of these conglomerates, like, um, like for example, Gillette would buy a razor company that's been growing super fast. And I think somebody did buy Dollar Shave Club. I'm not sure who it was. And they paid quite a bit of money for them. I think at some point they were just like, we, we have to buy this company or they could potentially overtake us, right? Like we have to pay a lot of money for them now. We made a mistake by letting them get this big. Um, so we have to do something. And so when you have... Um, these, these bigger companies that are doing this, they're buying these companies and they have all this cash flow that they're ready to invest. There's people doing that at a smaller scale as well, right? So you have these guys that are, are buying these companies up and they have a million dollars set aside on top of the, the liquid capital it takes to actually purchase that company. Hmm. And they're able to, like you said, inject that money into a business that's already growing and grow it and scale it even further. So how is somebody who's just taken the latest Shopify course going to compete with that? Hmm. Probably not. Right. So the, 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 the game is quickly becoming um, about capital and, and about investment and about you being able to, to have these reserves in place to grow and scale your business um, because the competition is growing thicker and growing thicker. Right. It, I think before it was easier because there was that information gap where people previously understood that there was these channels that they could sell on that these other people and other companies didn't hear about yet or didn't necessarily know how to sell on yet. At this point, it's no secret that people are shopping on Amazon, right? It's not hard to, to figure out how to sell your products on Amazon. So that information gap has completely closed and it's become a, a different game at this point now. And you have these, it's hilarious watching these courses or these people telling you to sell um, you know, items that were really hot in 2013. You, know, you, need to, you need to sell the next rubber spatula or whatever. And that's not the game anymore, right? So not only are they, not only do they not have the money, they're, they're the, the strategy that they're going about um, to, to, to actually go out and, and build a business is completely wrong um, because they're getting the wrong information. We've kind of chatted about this before uh, about uh, course creators bragging that they made thirty or forty thousand dollars selling on Amazon. Well, that's that's nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, it's really tough. Like when people ask me what direction to go, I typically would say try and find somebody that you know completely that like maybe you know them in person or try and reach out to them that you know is doing really well and try and get information from that individual because they don't have a vested interest in in trying to sell you something. Um, Even if you have to work for them or volunteer, whatever the case may be, pay them 
for their time, but try and just figure out like, what did they do? Because clearly if they're running a brand that's doing well, um, that's a, a much better strategy to follow rather than just buying a course where there's going to be a thousand other people that are getting the same information that you have. And quite honestly, the person that's selling that a lot of times is so outdated. They don't even know what's going on anymore. Um, like it takes real, real work to build a company like that, right? Like a, a company that's growing quickly um, and is selling these different products. There's so much involved with it that I don't know that it's even possible for you to run that company. And then on top of that, put out a really good quality course for everyone else to go in and copy the same thing. Like I don't, I don't, I don't really see that happening to be honest. Hmm. One of the things I'm hearing it and it, it ties into something I like to do on this show. I may do a solo episode about this now that I've come up with the idea is to tie in what we're talking about, about scaling and business to history and strategy and that. And I'm hearing the difference between ideological grand strategy and real politic grand strategy. And the, the ideological stuff is the, oh, I'm in the business for this reason and I believe in this thing and, and I'm here to change the world by offering this thing. And the real politic thing, which is the bigger picture, is I'm going to acquire that business and I don't really care about the ideology. I care about cost of customer acquisition and lifetime customer value. And as long yeah. as those numbers make sense, I'm going to pour fuel on the fire and warm it all up, right? And, and scale this baby as big as I can. I think there's also a middle ground too where both of those worlds can meet where you can find something that you enjoy. Um, but in the world that we live in now, obviously a capitalistic economy, you have to figure out a way to, to make the numbers work. Like if you have an idea or something that, you could potentially change the world or whatever um, you feel. Maybe you're just really passionate about a certain product. At the end of the day, nobody cares about your vision for it. Mm. Nobody cares about it. Like you have to figure out a way to make that message get out there by making those numbers work. So like the, the back end business is a skill that you have to have if you're an artist or if you're a creative or if you just want to, create a product from scratch, you have to have an understanding of how those numbers work because that's literally how you're going to be able to get your message out there and continue to get your message out there and show people this type of product. Right. Um, but I feel like if you want, I mean, the people that are looking to buy businesses and invest, um, a lot of times, yeah, it's going to be money finance guys. Um, a lot of times they're, they're managing money maybe for a few different people for a few different wealthy people and they go, well, this is a, a decent investment to make into this business. We should probably look into buying this. Right. Hmm. And that's a situation where they have to make the numbers work. Um, people are just starting out a lot of times it's, yeah, it's probably a good idea to, to figure out what you like to do or what you want to do. And a really good example of this now, once again, just tying this all back to like how things were a few years ago versus how they are now. I, a few years ago, you could have put a product up on eBay or on Amazon and had it really just take off just a generalized product, right? Um, just to bring in some income pretty quickly because the data worked, the numbers worked, and there wasn't a lot of competition. 
things are quickly, and I mean at a very rapid pace, moving away from there to the point where that model is almost extinct. Hmm. And you have to have other assets working for you in order to bring in customers. So a really good example of this is you being able to put out content or information that people enjoy, um, that they look forward to, and you kind of build an audience and then from there sell products. And Amazon is just one distribution channel that you're selling on, but the, the core of that business is you or someone that, that works in the business putting out content and putting out good information, being able to, to um, show that audience that your product is best for them, right? Mm-hmm. In whatever capacity that may be. So it could be a, a podcast, could be vlogs, um, whatever it is. You, that's where everything is quickly moving. And the asset is no longer becoming where you rank on Amazon. The asset is going to be you building that following and then being able to uh, you know, build products that those people want, right? That's, that's what the game I don't, I don't even think that's what it's going to be. I think that's already where it's at now. We're starting to see that quite a bit. Um, so with that said, you probably want to choose a product that you have some type of passion for that you enjoy talking about um, because it's just going to be easier to make content that way. And I think people probably can see right through you if you're selling a product that you don't necessarily enjoy talking about, right? It's going to be harder to sell that. But that's where everything is is really headed quite honestly i mean you you look at the the uh the pay-per-click numbers on amazon now um it's really crazy man like it's people are almost taking a loss on everything um for keywords that were they were just crushing a few a few uh a couple years ago right so within like a year or two keywords that used to be monstrous for them and actually make them money are actually bringing them a loss now because of how competitive things have become. So you want to stay a few steps ahead. Let me step out of this conversation to talk to our listeners for a moment. You, you've been hearing Ken talk about what life is like at that 30,000 foot level. And you may be going, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a starting business owner. Uh, What does this have to do with me? Well, Ken here started out, at where you did right and and put his head down and walked forward into building a seven-figure agency business mostly around traffic generation a little bit of web design hmm. and we're gonna I got a question about that in a second then he said he looked up looked around and went I don't like this <laughs> there are problems with this so he's he has seen things this is legit you know from the streets and from the 30,000 foot bomber command level information from somebody who's actually been there so then he turns and says i'm gonna build a business going in this direction now an e-commerce business and goes and builds that to seven figures and looks up looks around and goes okay now this is what things are like here and that's what we've been talking about in the last few minutes and why is that valuable to you well know what you're getting into we began this conversation with ken answering my question i didn't know what he was going to answer Uh, with but saying begin with the end in mind at least as far as you can go with it right it's probably not going to turn out exactly that way but have a picture if you're listening and taking in what ken has been saying hopefully what i've been adding to it you are going to get a general mental picture of what building a larger business is like and and saying to yourself okay do i want to build this 
And how best now can I start putting in the bones of this business to get to where I want to go? So, Ken, what happened when you built your agency business to seven figures and you discovered your, yourself as the owner doing some tasks that you didn't really think you should be doing? Sorry, so are you asking like, what, how did I transition out of that? or How oh, did, how did you that recognize that you were not happy about the agency business? I just <laughs> woke up with a knot in my stomach every day. <laughs> <laughs> really? That was, no, was, I wouldn't say it was that bad, but I just, I'm, I mean, it got to the point where, um, you know, it was, it just became this thing where I was, I found I was constantly just putting out fires and my day became basically, uh, involved or I, I guess every single day I was waking up and I was just getting a phone call and, and, when I wasn't on the phone, I was waiting for a phone call that was inevitably going to come in um, about a fire that I needed to put out. And mm -hmm. it, was, that's, it became much more of like this uh, kind of like command and conquer thing. We're going to go out, we're going to get more clients to me just becoming reactive to try and keep these clients on board. Mm -hmm. And I found as I hired more people to, to try and manage this stuff, that ate into uh, the profit margins, obviously. And it was just difficult to manage that stuff. Um, and there was, I think the biggest thing for me was there was no creative side to it at all. Mm. If you think of a uh, services business, a lot of times it's a creative business. If it's web design, if it's graphic design, whatever it is, a lot of times it's focused around somebody's creativity and them being able to turn that into a business. Obviously, we weren't so much involved with the content or the, the creative side of things, but we were doing a lot of the search, the lead generation, which in and of itself is not very creative. Um, but it can become kind of this cool little thing where you're figuring out the puzzle of how to bring this company more leads based upon improving their marketing and then improving their uh, conversions, right? So improving their websites, their forms, their leads. That that was kind of like a cool little thing. I think I'd, I'd grown tired of that over a few years, but I mean, I was so far removed from that side of it by the end. Like I said, like I was more or less just operating and keeping in contact with these unhappy clients if something went wrong, um, that it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. Now, it's interesting because I'm almost, I'm running into the same situation now. It's funny, I was telling my friend about this the other day. Um, he has an e-commerce business as well. And I was telling him, <clears throat> you know, with when I started my e-com stuff, it was amazing to me right because mostly because of um me tr you know kind of getting out of this this business that i already had and that i wasn't really happy with and all of a sudden i was doing this new stuff that was fun it was creative it was exciting i was building products and researching different mm -hmm. brands stuff like that and i was like i, I remember thinking like i can't wait till i'm doing things at, at a bigger scale so when i have more products we can go out we can create more products and i was <laughs> I was telling my friend this the other day, just because of some stuff that has come up recently, it went from, you know, even now it went from me being able to create these products and do all this stuff and, um, uh, you know, be really hands-on with the marketing and that side of stuff to quite honestly, now my days revolve around me managing cash flow, And as of recently, me dealing with lawyers like for a lot of the time, like that's what my day looks like. A lot of times I'm speaking with my business manager, just making sure that the inventory 
stuff is, is there's no major issues and that things are flowing smoothly. Um, then we're looking at cash flow to make sure that the, the numbers look good up until the end of the year. And then I'm talking with my lawyer for the, <laughs> the rest of the day. So you're almost falling into that same thing again, where once it becomes like a legitimate business that needs to be scaled, there's certain stuff that you have to do and it doesn't necessarily become about what you want to do anymore. It becomes about what are the pieces I need to put in place? What are the things I need to do to continue this growth? Um, Is it too important to let go of and delegate to somebody else? I specifically have to deal with the lawyers and I specifically have to deal with the banks because it's, it's my business, right? Um, there's, uh, there's of course certain things that you can delegate. I've hired, I have four employees now, right? So a lot of stuff has been taken off of my plate and that's great because I'm not working anywhere near the amount of time that I used to. But the, the, you know, if, if you go out and you plot out what you need to do every day, when I'm looking at those two or three main things that have to get done and even maybe six, seven, eight things that must get done throughout the week, it's, yeah, it's going to be things like making sure that you have the cash flow in place. What are the things we need to do? Making sure that you're speaking with somebody about, you know, this product that needs to get out on time. Um, and then as of recently speaking with lawyers about certain stuff, because I specifically had a patent, that I had put out um, and there's co companies infringing on it. So a, a bunch of stuff that, that we had to deal with um, that's still ongoing, right? So it's my job to make sure that that stuff gets taken care of and that's priority over a lot of the other fun or creative stuff that um, I would probably enjoy doing more, but there's just no time and, and uh, resources right now to do that, that type hmm. of stuff. Hmm. I look forward to talking with you in six months about this and seeing what kind of a solution you've come up with. There's a lot of stuff. I'll say this. There's, without giving away too much, there's yeah. a lot of changes that I'm making right now. Um, a lot of stuff that's being done um, because it's a learning process for me too, right? As I've kind of gone through this, you figure, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the bottom line or the, the profit margins and the money that brings in, I, you start to realize that's not everything, right? Like you also want to try and find some type of a healthy lifestyle in this stuff. And I think the win by any means necessary was like so embedded into my DNA from sleeping at my office when I was building my agency. And like, I just, uh, I never had money. I had to pay my bills on time. I had to pay for the office on time that I still kind of carry that with me into a lot of the businesses I run now, which is great because that's what allows you to do well a lot of times. But there's also times where I think um, you got to figure out, is this what I want to be doing forever? And if not, um, you got to make some changes, right? You have to change the course a little bit. Yeah, so that's all either, a learning process. Somebody's got to, See, you're a process guy and you're deliberate and relentless and you've got a business manager in that. It's a, it just kind of boggles my mind. I'm like, wow, you know, you've got to find some people who have, who have had similar problems and talk to them and figure out how they solved it. If they yeah, well, so it, right? I, Which it, is what I hope our listeners are doing, listening to us about the kind of business that they would like to, to create. I think a lot of times the answers are pretty straight. Like I know what I need to do, right? Um, 
there's certain situations that won't allow you or certain things that come up that won't allow you to do that, right? So for example, I'm kind of tied down right now dealing with this attorney situation mm -hmm. um, because of a potential lawsuit that's sitting out there, right? So that's something that I know in the back of my head, it's not what I want to be doing long term. The answer is obvious. Like I, I mean, who wants to sit down and deal with uh, or talk with a lawyer all day about uh, potential lawsuits and this and that when I have other stuff that I have to deal with, right? Um, I know what the answer is, but sometimes the situation just doesn't, it's not going to allow for that until the stuff gets taken care of and it's out of the way. Mm -hmm. And that's with everything, like any business you're building, um, there's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't want to do sometimes. And there's just right. going to be downtimes where you just have to grit your teeth and grind through it. If the majority of your year is like that, then yeah, there's probably something very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but this just, I think in this situation, this just happens to be one of those times. And then I look at the entire year, I say, well, there's maybe certain things that I, I don't, didn't necessarily want to be doing this year that as I transition to next year and uh, in the end of this year that I can kind of uh, move away from, right? And that's where you look at what are the different, excuse me, people I can hire, what are the different pieces I can put in place, um, so that I can still enjoy running this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there is a, a definite zone of interest that you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's going to differ for everybody. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done the personality? I don't. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's the Myers Briggs. Yeah. yeah. So I think they give you kind of like what your personality, and it's pretty accurate. And that typically gives you a breakdown of like what you should be doing, who you, what your strengths, weaknesses are, who you should surround yourself with. I found it to be, uh, to be pretty accurate. I use a lot of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colby uh, A test was quite good as well. Mm, interesting. A, a different one about um, that one's more focused on like how you do the work and, okay. uh, and, how you approach things like I'm not a I'm not a great initiator for example but I am a great tinkerer and uh, and how you spend your energy is uh, is covered up by that test really well yeah so what else let's round up here let's finish up with this question what else what have we missed that people looking at starting a business really need to know before they get into it or as they're getting into it from your perspective having created two seven figure businesses. Um, so we can go more or less, I guess, into like the mindset direction because I think we touched on a lot of tactical stuff. Um, the, you know, when people are trying to get involved with this stuff, um, like I was just talking about, like uh, for me personally, I'm like all in, right? Like by any means necessary. Um, I think, I don't think everyone's meant to be in business, number one, and there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like, like now you look at, uh, I'm in my twenties, obviously, as, as we talked about before. So a lot of people might still are like in the Instagram, social media phase, and they have to have something to put up there. They have to have like some type of motivational quote or inspirational quote that they don't live by. Like you're, you're a bank teller. I don't need to hear about you being like uh, whatever, like whatever the, the inspirational quote is, if you're a bank teller, then you just do, you, you do that, right? But people feel the need if they're, if they don't necessarily are um, 
a business owner, they want to like kind of live vicariously through these quotes and that. And that's, it's, it's just really strange to me, right? Because when I see that, um, and then somebody comes to me and says, well, I want to start a business that quote or the, the images you see and all that is not really what is involved in starting. It's mostly just like a lot of, a lot, a lot of, of sacrifice. That's what I found. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You're just isolated a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, yep. once again, I was telling you about my friend I was speaking with before. Um, you know, there's there's obviously upsides to working a regular job. Like I said, like uh, I'm using the, the example bank teller because there's somebody really specifically in mind that does that job that has like these inspiration. He has entrepreneur listed on his mm-hmm. Instagram profile. And I'm sitting there going like, there's nothing wrong with the job you have now, right? If you want to do more, then go do it. But don't, don't tell me about the ambitions and all that, or like the, the Lamborghinis and all that, because that's not what's involved with this, right? Like mm-hmm. you're getting started off on the wrong foot. And I, um, you know, you, the, the proper mindset is just understanding like, oh shit, I'm going to be working 70, 80 hour weeks for the next year, probably year plus trying to get this thing off the ground and there's no time for anything else. Right. Yep. A lot of, a lot of the time is just spent like you in front of a computer or at your desk and it's just, you're just quietly working. There's nothing exciting about it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you don't even know what to do. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. And, and there's like, there's a lot of emotion or whatever that comes up that you got to fight. There's a lot of, just a lot of stuff going on that you got to figure out. You got to get answers quick. Your, your business may not be making money. You got to figure out how to get capital. Um, there's uh, attorney problems, problems with lawyers, problems with other companies. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? The last thing you should be thinking about is like a hopey dreamy quote. Like all you need to be doing is, was, thinking about how to execute, right? So like from a mindset perspective, um, I think people definitely come into this stuff with the wrong ideas. Like I'm, I'm looking at this guy's page and he has, it's a picture of him pouring a bottle of like champagne or liquor and it says uh, business before pleasure. <laughs> That's not business, what? dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> This is not business, you drinking champagne. So there's a lot of that stuff going on, which I, I just scratch my head at that stuff. Like it's very, very strange to me um, because anybody I know who's done really well, it's like, yeah, there's, they're just working. They don't, there's not a lot of time for other stuff. And of course you want to try and balance it out as we just talked about, but there's, there's um it's mostly a lot of sacrifice and like kind of working through a lot of really tough problems by yourself. So just understand like what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, and friends and family probably won't understand. Exactly. Yeah. And they're going to tell you like another, like uh, you can do anything you want if you just work hard enough. And that's not, once again, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like you got to really, I guess what I'm getting at here is you really have to um, have a full understanding of what's involved with this. Um, because you can, I mean, for whatever reason, it's, it's kind of like a trendy thing to run your own business or, um, be a boss quote unquote, but, um, there's, 
the there's not a lot of like the the glitz and glam especially in in the beginning stages of this stuff it's it's mostly just a lot of work and i think people aren't coming into it with the right expectations which is an absolute recipe for failure yeah i wrote a blog post in 2014 <laughs> that's how long ago <laughs> on my sales and marketing blog salestactics.org uh, if you were to go there and just search for Megatron, you'll find it. And it's about getting stuck in a role that you feel you can't leave. That you're like, yeah. you're this person now. Here you are. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're this business owner. This is who you are and what you do. And you're like, I, I, can't, ah, I can't take a day off. And like Megatron yeah. in the original Transformers series, the cartoon series is who I'm talking about here. He couldn't take a day off. He, yeah. was, he was the leader of the bad guys and he had a mission, right? Which was to, to dominate and take over and win. And, and uh, if he stopped, if he let up for a second, um, Starscream or some other Decepticon baddie would kill him, right? And that, that is a position that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and I've been in it myself. Yeah. Get into where you just feel trapped in this, oh my gosh, I got to stay here and do this thing. And that's what you don't see because that's a conversation that never gets had. And that's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's kind of what I was touching on was you never hear that side of it. Hmm. You never. You just hear about like people being their own boss and somebody's posting a screenshot of whatever earnings or income or whatever. But you don't actually see the ins and outs and like the day to day of, of stuff. Um, and yet you get like that trap that you fall into, I think is almost inevitable. I don't think anybody really scales their, their business at the perfect rate um, so that they're just constantly kind of staying on top and, and overseeing things, right? Like you go through certain pain points where you're like, oh, like all I've done is work, been overworked for the past year. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time to hire somebody. And then that's how you come to that realization, hmm. right? You're very rarely like, staying ahead of things where you're unless you have a lot of money at your disposable excuse me at your disposal and, and you're able to um put the pieces in place and then you have people sitting around that are working for you but aren't working because they don't uh they don't have anything to do right and you're kind of waiting for the work to pick up to to keep them happy um so you gotta yeah you you, you do fall into a lot of these situations where you're just constantly overworked and then over time um I think you learn to delegate things a little better, but people will even like suggest, oh, well, you should read the E-Myth book. And you go, I, I know about the book and I know the concepts of it, but just reading that book and understanding it doesn't make it an exact translation to the real world, right? Like understanding it and then actually going out and doing it are two completely different things because there's certain scenarios that come up, once again, like cash flow. Like, I can't implement something like that yet. I can't afford to hire somebody just yet. Um, so I have to kind of grind through this until that time comes. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff like that, right? That's a major thing we do at Cold Star Technologies is help people, business owners, extract the secret sauce, the 11 secret herbs and spices, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that somebody else could duplicate that work with their own spin on it. Yeah, you know, but they can they can do it with the special sauce. But yeah, like you say, many businesses are just not in the cash flow position. They don't have the reserves to be able to make the jump to the next level. And uh, I shared a graphic from a book on scaling about the valley of death. 
and yeah, yeah, I saw many that, yeah. plateaus, right? And there, there are a ton of businesses, sub a million dollars. And then there's the valley of death. And if you can get to 10 million, that's the next plateau. And then there's another valley of death. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's making that transition from the processes and the, and the beingness of who you were at level one or plateau one to get up to plateau two. And a lot of people just can't make the shift where they try and do it on their own and they, they lack the skills or just the, the cash flow, the reserves, which is blood, right? For yeah. And I think the, the other side of that too is like you just mentioned, not everyone is built to think like that or should be operating a business like uh, you have somebody who's really good at marketing, let's say, for example, they're really good at the creative side of things. They can, you know, market a business and take a product to market and get it from zero to two million in sales. Um, that person may not be the best fit to take that business from two to 10 million, right? Like they may not have, that's a, a totally different skill set that they would need to have. And that's all stuff, once again, that you, you would never hear. It's just kind of stuff that you, you have to pers- like be perceptive and, and, and pick up on. Mm-hmm. And over time, you're going to understand that like th- that may not be my skill set. And I think it's really true in terms of like you have to really have a clear understanding of what you're good at. What's the specific mm-hmm. thing that you are really good at? And then focus on getting really good at that. Um, and if, you, if you're the founder or the owner of the business, you can hire an executive and still kind of oversee things, um, but really kind of leave like the operations up to them to hire and scale a company because that's, like I said, like you can literally ruin a business by not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the, that's one thing I've been super thankful for in the last few years is um, I used to be very, a solopreneur and very kind of tightened down, you know, bolted down. I'm like, oh, I have to do everything. Yeah. My clients yeah. hired me. And somehow 2016 or so, I made that shift to relaxing about that stuff. And I am so willing not to abdicate, but to let go of things and go, look, I'm going to give this marketer, let's say, uh, the essence of what I want. And they're going to do 70% with that, but they're going to add in 30% of their own thing. Yeah. And it might be way better than what I would come up with on my own. Yeah. yeah, And that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited about that. And like, did you, so did you personally have like a, a a moment where you realized this may not be what I'm good at, or maybe I'm okay at it, but it's not necessarily what I enjoy. And I would rather build a business that can make good money, but I'm also able to do like what I'm enjoying um, because I'm still kind of in pursuit. I know there's certain skill sets that I have that are like, it's undeniable that there's certain things that I'm good at. And then there's other stuff where I'm looking at it and I'm going, I don't necessarily know like if I'm fit to take this to X amount of revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't necessarily know if, if, if that's, if I'm the best person to do that, or if I should be focusing on this thing that I'm proven at that I've done over and over and over again, and that's worked really well. Mm-hmm. And they kind of hand the reins off to somebody else. Um, and then once again, like come up with, uh, you know, ways to strategically make decisions with them. Um, but at the same yeah. time, give them like the power to do what they feel is right, because that's why you hired them. 
Right. Uh, so it probably began in 20, I mean, I had 15 years of corporate experience with being a, a factory manager and having employees and all that. So yeah, yeah. But that was a different situation than, than running a creative agency or a sales training firm, right? Uh, where I thought all the knowledge was in my head and clients were hiring me for my unique perspective. Little did I know what I should have done, for example, with uh, one of my businesses, Sales on Fire, was hire other trainers, give them the program, and say, go teach this. And been totally fine with however they did it. Mm-hmm. Right? As long as they, they got the concepts across, their extra 20 30% of the way they did it, it would be perfectly fine. So yeah. 2016, I worked with this um, Dutch change management agent who solely... Uh, focused on tech companies in Europe of a thousand people or more. And that was it. I just worked with them for like 10 months out of that year. And I have, I have some process engineering and change management skills, but companies of a thousand or larger was bigger than the scale that I'd been working at for the previous bunch of years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to see a lot and, and relax a lot about things and, and <laughs> that was good. Then uh, with the closing engine, the, the business that I um, co-founded before going full-time into Cold Star here, uh, I had a, a great co-founder who approached me with the idea. And in that business, we we hired and delegated. And um, that was really where I got to go, whew, again, great. <laughs> you know, I got to see those examples of, uh, wow, I, I don't have to write all the copy. I've got somebody here who can write the copy. Wow, I don't have to be a sales manager. We've we've got a sales manager coach that we pay for, right? Yeah. That's I don't have to do this stuff. Wow. I'm freed up, not only like time-wise, but emotionally as well. So did you pinpoint like a like a very specific skill set that you wanted to be doing day in and day out and then be able to hand all this other stuff off to somebody else? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so for me, it's the big strategic stuff. Uh, you, you would be surprised probably about all the reading that I've been doing over the last year mm-hmm. on large organizations. And I don't, I don't want to get into this too much. Um, yeah. I'm going to get off topic and, and I'm going to make my own uh, solo podcast about it. But I, again, surprising. I have been gradually easing into uh, the German army <laughs> of, of 1914. Interesting. Of that organization, because the Prussian army um, was the standard for how the this large organization was was organized. Okay, and and they changed things and that, but people copied them, and they had the first real position called the chief of staff, that was effective. And I have done an incredible amount of research into these super strategist chiefs of staff. Uh, which obviously there's one for the United States of America, right? The yeah. president has one and how those people do their job and, and they're all different and all the army chiefs of staff of different nations and different eras are different. And I have just been reading and consuming a ton of information about how this stuff is organized and what happened when it was actually used. Like at the beginning of world war one, the cartography department of the German army, that bureau, if you will, was not very well thought of. Map making, who cares, right? But after a couple of years of trench warfare, 
Can you imagine how important map making is? Yeah. Like we, you know, our, our, the way we're trying to get in and out of the enemy trenches and take stuff over is accurate maps here, right? We need the, the hidey holes and the passive attack and all this stuff. So this is the kind of thing that happens in, in organizations. So, and that has affected my uh, daydreaming, if you will, of how uh, I'm organizing my own business. As, as it scales, right? And how I, I do begin with the end in mind there. I have a vision of how this is going to be organized. And so gotcha. I, for example, uh, want nothing to do with operations, really, right? Like if, if I'm involved in operations, something has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm finding too. Right? And I should be up at the strategy, marketing, strategic initiatives, and, yeah. and strategic uh, partnership level. And, and those things like cash flow and legal and that kind of thing. If I have to actually come down from above, <laughs> like an avenging angel, and yeah. deal with some client process engineering issue, yeah, something terrible yeah. has gone wrong. And, yeah. and there's probably a layer or two of management in between. Uh, like I have, you know how the, the James Bond universe is? There's that M character. Yeah. Right. Who controls everything. Mm -hmm. I have a control person who, who takes care of all of the agents who they call in to. Right. Yeah. And that's the management system for that. So, and then I, there's a master of discipline as well who creates all the, the controls for inside the company. Um, so I feel, I feel like a lot of people that are in business and have like are a founder of a business, they kind of always view their role as like you said, like the big picture, um, uh, marketing, a lot of sales stuff, um, not necessarily like doing the sales, but the, the overall strategy for it. Um, and they're kind of at the top there and then everything their their goal, especially as the business continues to grow is like continue to carve out the path to allow us to hit the next revenue goal. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I I think that's how most founders view themselves um, and then kind of fill the gaps in from there underneath them. And the, the one thing I'm starting to realize for my businesses is that I know what I'm good at. Like, as you just mentioned, like the strategy, the marketing, um, the, the product development, the product research, all of that, that's kind of like my forte. And then having someone else underneath me, do a lot of the systems and even do a lot of the hiring. I feel like, I feel like my business manager can probably do a lot of better hiring than I can at this point. They're going to have to support. work with them on a daily basis too. Yeah. And you might not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, those are all different things that I'm just starting to realize now where you, this is all stuff. I think you have to really clearly define at a certain point. And I, I also don't think, I mean, a lot of people's, um, I feel like a lot of people go into this and they go, well, I'm just going to outsource my whole business. And the problem with that is once everything is systemized and you remove yourself, the, the growth of the business is going to stop inevitably. I feel like you have to, as the founder, somebody who is like committed to it and obviously has quite a bit of investment into it, you're the person who's you know, best to actually grow this thing, like to, to actually go in there and kind of put your blood, sweat and tears that's focused into this one area, 
to allow you to continue to scale it to build out that strategy, right? Because I feel like the other people aren't going to necessarily care as much. And I feel like if you were to just outsource everything and take a step back, that's most likely when things um, would fall apart. So I don't think that that's the answer. Um, I, have a, I have a hub and spoke uh, organizational structure to my business, which is very different from the pyramid or even shallow layered level of, uh, of how businesses can be organized. There's a wonderful video by Evan Carmichael uh, that I found about a year and a half ago. And as soon as I shared it with my co-founder at the time at the closing engine, uh, we were both like, oh my gosh, we're at this stage. And, yeah. and in it, Evan talks about five levels of delegation. And so it's layers of the organization that you can peel off and, and delegate in in what order. Okay. And I'm going to repeat them here because it's fun. <laughs> and I'm also testing myself. Uh, the first level is administration. It's administrative work, paperwork, that kind of thing. Um, the second level is production. It's the actual doing of things. This is the mistake that I made with sales on fire. I kept all the production to myself. I had all those coaching calls. I should have, I should have uh, distributed them to coaches and increased capacity and cash flow. Uh, the third one is marketing. So, and, and this is kind of difficult if you're the face of the business, right? Uh, Dave Ramsey is very good at this. He, he creates um, fellow experts from inside his business, right? He gets them books and speaking gigs and things like that and sets them up to be um, marketing his business as well as theirs. Uh, the fourth one is business development, which is the sales and strategic partnerships, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth level is general manager. And so that's the person who is in charge of the day-to-day. -day. And they probably have a, a bonus at least, a revenue bonus stake in it. Right, like a, yeah. a percentage of you know how well a company does at the year, yeah. Um, to to give them that because it Incentive, you'll see, yeah um, you'll see. I've done a lot of research and and listening to audio podcasts as well from from business leaders who have scaled, and they will say things like it it will look like a, a Richard Branson or someone will, will appear to be managing a whole bunch of different businesses, right? Yeah, there's but, no way. They don't, they focus on one at a time for intense growth. And then once it's ready to be given to that general manager, yeah. it, that's when they hands up, back off, let the GM handle it. Interesting, and, yeah. And put in standards and controls. And if the variance goes outside those, those goalposts, okay, now I need to really take a look here. Interesting. Right? Is the person the problem? Are the systems the problem? Or is something else going on? Yeah. Right. Did the market shift or was yeah. there a major technological disruption or something like that? Yeah. This yeah. is fun. I don't get to talk about this stuff that often. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting. Man. Two, um, two interesting I, topics. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've, this is stuff that I've just, I mean, once again, if you're never going to hear or read about this for mm -hmm. the most part online. Um, and it's, it's just stuff that I've slowly started to realize. And it, my thing is, Obviously, my time is limited. I don't want to go down the wrong rabbit hole and like have myself, like you said, like start learning about writing standard operating procedures for each role and position in the company. That's not how my time is going to be best spent. And I feel like, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole of a million different business books 
and at the end of the day, still be in the same spot because you don't even know where to start, right? Versus if you really get focused and understand, like have that clear strategy of how you want the overall company to look, what your role is in the company, mm-hmm. and then start to fill in those, uh, those roles from there and put the correct pieces in place, you can save yourself a lot of time and really have a solid business that's that's running underneath you right Right. um but i don't yeah like if i if i have to record an internal process let's say i'm not i'm not the best person to do it myself Mm -hmm. yeah i have the skills i have the training i can do it but i don't want to do it exactly yeah (laughs) and i'm not i'm not as diligent as you are even right so i'm gonna miss details because i don't care (laughs) that much right so i'm going to assign it to one of two lovely ladies that i know either lynn or natasha and they are going to do a focused job of doing that process documentation right yeah and then we can look at my brain doesn't even work like that like honestly like very it it does if i'm super disciplined in folk but that takes so much out of me um Mm -hmm. I was finding even when, like, when I was doing the inventory stuff, it was taking so much out of me to, to get these processes down and in place that could have been, that energy could have been much better spent um, doing other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool, so that, that is definitely a cold star thing. Um, identifying those key areas. And, and that's something that Matt Daniel can help with as well. Yeah. I'm going to bring him up here because we both know him. Yeah. Um, at Hello Process, and I've interviewed him on this show as well. Uh, he, is, he is the kind of guy that founders should be talking to for determining, should I be doing this or should yeah. somebody else be doing this? What should my day look like as a founder, CEO? And, uh, I mean, you could get it from Cold Star as well. Um, but Matt's a, Matt's a good guy to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, do we have anything left to talk about for now, or should we save think, it for another yeah. episode? I think we uh, covered quite a bit. All right. Well, stick around. You and I will have a chat after. But thanks for being here. Our guest has been Ken Caesar, the under 30 founder of two seven-figure businesses, an agency and an e-commerce business. And what we have tried to give you today, at Ken's insistence, by the way, this was his show, his idea for the show, but I love it. Uh, what a picture of creating a big business looks like a seven figure business, big for, for most people. Uh, and what a new business owner, entrepreneur, startup should be thinking about and looking towards as they grow. Thanks for being here, Ken. Awesome. Thank you for having me.